Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Pedham here, as always, and of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a 2-1 away win against Fulham at Craven Cottage on Saturday. Of course, you guys are most likely hearing this at some point on the Monday, so hopefully everyone is having a fantastic start to your week. Mr. Simon O'Regan joins me as well to go over all things Villa-related as this is Villa's second away win in a row. I know a lot of people were looking at our away record not so long ago and saying that's going to be the thing that lets us down. But lately, um, yeah, it's not the thing that lets us down. It's more so injuries. And of course, we can even say that hasn't let us down this week. But nonetheless, like I said, Mr. Simon O'Regan is here to talk all the sense and to save me from talking nonsensical. So, Simon... How are you doing this week? Uh, yeah, not too bad. So feeling a bit under pressure now. If you're asking for me to be the one to talk sense, so uh, you know <laughs> it's not that that's normally Tom's role on this podcast. But uh, yeah, no, very good. Um, it's always always good to win a game of football. Obviously, any time of the season. But obviously, having having lost last weekend, you know, such unfortunate circumstances, and with the ever growing list of injuries. You know, having t- two more casualties this week with Kamara and then Diego Carlos later on in the week. I think there was a bit of kind of fear and trepidation going into this game. So to bounce back uh, with a win is obviously brilliant. I, I just uh, saw a stat come up here that that's so the six Premier League games that we've lost this season. We've won the next game, all six. All six of those games after them with an aggregate score of 20 goals to five. So we've, uh, you know, we've kind of, we've shown all season great sort of character to, to bounce back from from a defeat. And it was, yeah, really good to get that done again yesterday, especially, as I say, considering the sort of bit of negativity that I'd built around, um, you know, the narrative of Villa at the moment this season. So really, really good to go and get that win. And with a couple of, on paper, favorable favorable games coming up, you know, is it, to get off to a good start yesterday will hopefully put us in good stead for the next few weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if I'm correct, and I feel like I've said this stat before, um, and I'm pretty sure looking back at it, this is only Fulham's fourth loss at home since like the start of October or something like that. So considering they only came up last season or still, I wouldn't say figuring things out because of course they've been very steady since they've come up, but of course they'd probably like to be doing a little bit better this season compared to last season. Um, I think that's actually a very good win considering injuries and all the things kind of going on that way. But let's dive right into that first, Simon, of course, because we look at uh, Clement Longley moving over to more of a right center back role. And then, of course, uh, Pau Torres finally coming back in. I think a lot of people were nervous to see how fit he actually was. Uh, but he came back, back in as the left center back and formed a back three at times when um, in attack with Matty Cash playing as the right center back, Longley in the middle, and of course, Torres 
on the left. What'd you make of that kind of back four, the the, the trio at times? I, I honestly, aside from the the one goal we did concede, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. That just seemed to kind of be a little bit of miscommunication between I don't know Cash, you could say Longley, and even uh, Martinez. I mean, it was a, a very good defensive performance overall. Yeah, considering that's the first time that back four have ever played together. Um, you know, you add sort of going back on, on, on what I said in the introduction there, I think those people were, were very nervous sort of going into it. Um, and obviously, you know, in recent weeks, Matty Cash has, has taken on the role of the, um, the the worst player to have ever played for Aston Villa amongst our, some of our more, how should we say, excitable fans on social media. Um, so there's sort of pressure going, you know, on his shoulders going into the game. Clement Longley as well, who, no, he's by no means perfect, but in in my opinion, anyway, I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as, as some fans would have you have you believe. But when you've got that sort of air of negative comments constantly going around, it, it, it puts pressure on them. And like you say, I thought it, overall it was a, a pretty decent sort of solid defensive performance, especially for a team that you know has never played together before. And I I thought the setup was was quite interesting. Like. I, I I wonder if say say if Mings had never had that injury, I think quite often this season you'd have probably seen a bat four of Cons and Mings, Torres and Moreno Odinho, one of them. And you'd have seen what we saw yesterday where the, the whoever the left back is is going to bow on as as we saw with Moreno quite a lot last season. And then those three centre-halves become your back three with Mings in the middle, Torres on the left of it and, and Cons on the right. I, I think that's what the, the plan would, was going to be going into this season. So it's kind of, it's the first time we've seen it with a couple of players who I'm sure weren't, weren't in mind when Emery was, was devising that plan. But but I thought, by and large, it, it worked. You know, I thought Cash had, a, had a, a, a really decent game, especially... You know the circumstances that we've kind of talked about, and I actually thought Longley, like overall, again was was pretty decent. It's one of those if you you just sort of like watch the highlights of the match of the day, and you look at that goal we conceded, and I suppose we, we might as well just kind of get, get that one over now as we're talking about the defence. <laughs> like you can look at that and just go, oh, well, yeah, Longley shit. That's that's what's happened there. I I actually think that goal, and I saw Emmy Martinez's interview on the Villa website earlier. He took full responsibility for it, and and I do think it is probably by and large his fault. Mm-hmm. I think you can't completely absolve Longley of any blame, but he has clearly had a shout from from Martinez. There's no way he he pulls his leg out of the last second to leave that. Like he's he's clearly had the shout. Now there's the arguments that you take responsibility there, and I. You know, I would go along with that. I've, you know, I've I've played centre half a number of years at, at Sunday League level. Obviously, no, nowhere near Premier League level, but you you do get You know, there's times as a centre back where even if you do get a shout, you kind of you've still got to be aware of the immediate danger on that, and you kind of you can't use the well, the keeper gave the shout as a complete you know absolution of any blame. But the majority of that does does go to I think you know the mistake for Miners coming out for ball, which he, there was no really need to because if he stays on his line, there's no way. To, well, Longley I think a clears it. If he doesn't even the striker gets in front of him, there's no way he's scoring from that position in Miners' position. But you know, 
Emmys, he's allowed to make one mistake every 25, 30 games. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll let him off with that. I won't be calling for, for Robin Olsen just yet. <laughs> well, to be fair as well, I mean, he did make a very, very good save off of Adama Traore in the dying minutes and extra time, I believe it was, um, of the game. I mean, thank God it was Adama Traore, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know he still cannot finish. Um, and it's just a big lump of pace. Um, so that has just lived up to basically summarize his career very, very well. But I mean, all in all, it does happen. I, I think we can give the likes of Emmy Martinez more than enough credit and a lot of slack. He saved us more than enough times to be allowed to screw up a few more times. So let's be completely honest. And yeah. I, I think that's the thing with long night too. I think a lot of people, especially when Paul Torres was out, it was just, well, the distribution isn't the same, but it's like, well, and, and pardon my French, but no shit. Um, yeah. Longley is actually a pretty good distributor of the ball when you think about it. And that was kind of the thing I was curious to see how those two played together. And I expected more fluidity coming from the back. But my big question mark was how are they going to defend together? Because we haven't really seen that. And probably having Cash there, I and mean, even as rash as Cash has been defensively at times in his Villa career, I thought he was very level-headed yesterday. And actually, mm-hmm. probably his pace on the right did help quite a lot. But like you said, in a perfect world, if, if Mings is fit, he slides in there, Cons is in there as well, Longley drops to the bench. And I, I think that is something I would imagine, unless there's another center back in Unai Emery's <laughs> plans to come in, that would probably be your back three kind of moving into that, or I guess part of your back four, depending on how you really want to word that one. Um, I mean, your Tillemans comes in, McGinn drops back, of course, the big boob, Booba Karkamara is done for the season, unfortunately. What did you make of McGinn dropping back? Tillemans playing a little bit further forward. Of course, Tillemans played a major part. Well, actually both did, arguably, um, in, in setting up the second goal, just in terms of McGinn's positioning, Tillemans' final pass, and of course, Watkins finishing but would you make of them two in those kind of roles i think that's the way you've got to do it if 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 you've got the two, the two of them in that team um i i, I mean i'm a big fan of your team as I, I i really rate him i don't think you're going to see him perform anywhere near the best of his abilities playing as part of the midfield too uh i don't think he's just probably not mobile enough for that role in there um you know, not not that he's, you know, like a, a, I don't know, a fridge or something in there trying to move around. You know, he's, he's by no means like slow and completely immobile. But you, because of the way we play as well, with the uh, sort of wide midfielders, you know, tend to come in quite a bit. You you need those people, those um, players in the middle t- to be mobile as well, and also with the way. You know, now that Paul Torres is back in there, he brings the ball out quite a lot. So you need to have someone who has just got that sort of bit of defensive discipline about him to to sort of drop in there. And I think if you've got McGinn in the in that deeper role, whilst it takes away you know some really good aspects of his game if you've got him further forward, but he has got more than enough energy that he can he can do that role and get about the pitch and, and do it in the way that you need him to. And in the same way, I think Tiedemans is so much better deployed further forward because he he's very good at, at picking up little spaces where he can receive the ball. And what I like about him a lot is he's probably the one sort of central midfielder out of the group that we've got who every time he gets it, his first thought is to try and move it forward as quickly as possible. Um, you know, that's 
you know, someone like McGinn or Kamara, um, Louise, that's not part of their game, but but that's not a problem because it doesn't need to be because you you have your system set up for players to fulfil certain roles, and whilst they you know those other midfielders may not have that aspect about the game that Tiedemans does. They've got other things that Tiedemans can't do, so it, so it works together quite well. As as we saw, you know, with, with the second goal, and and a few times this season, you think of uh, Watkins' winner away at Tottenham um, a, a couple of months ago. That's from a Tiedemans through ball. Like he he he's very very good with those passes in, and I think sometimes with, with midfielders like that, you can some people can look at him and think he gives the ball away too much, which. To an extent, that statement is true because he, he will lose possession. But that's kind of part of his role is he's trying to make things happen. You, you're not going to, to put it off every time. It's, it's like the way we talk about wingers. They're not going to beat their fullback every single time. But I don't, I don't mind players. Like, if, if you're going to lose the ball, lose it trying to do something like positive rather than you know, just trying to be too slow and just sort of sideways passes that aren't going to go anywhere. Like, I, I like the fact that he's trying to, to make stuff happen. It's, it's, it's kind of like what Buendia used to get criticised last season. You know, people would say about him, oh, he always he gives the ball away too much. But he, he's doing it trying to make things happen. And as long as they keep doing it, they're going to get stuff right because they're quality players. And, and we saw that yesterday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, one player we haven't mentioned yet, and I thought this was a good stat uh, from ABFC Stato via X Twitter, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, he put out a post yesterday saying no player created more chances in uh, Saturday's win against Fulham than Dougie Louise with four. Louise has created 74 chances in the Premier League under Unai Emery, 17 more than any other player. I mean, it probably goes to show, and I don't mean this in a bad way against Kamara, but I, I think it's more than fair to say that Louise is evidently the driving force in that midfield. I, I think at this point, as much as we can rate Kamara's defensive capabilities, Dougie Louise has everything. And the man should be like, I want Villa to be in the Champions League. That is very clear. We all do. <laughs> he is a Champions League caliber player. He is a top four caliber player. Like the fact that anyone can e- even potentially argue that these days boggles my mind. 100%. Like, Louise, I mean, I've I, I I've always been a fan of him, and I I've I, I've kind of like sometimes I look through like old tweets just to make sure that I have actually always been like positive about him. You could always see that there was a quality player there, but I think he's definitely the driving force in terms of like how we how we go into tap teams and how we go and win games. But like he's he's been allowed to become that over the last two seasons. Because he's been playing alongside Kamara, like I get the point that you're making in terms of you know, you, like you're comparing them. Obviously, Louise is more of the driving force, but it's because he's he's allowed to play his natural game now because he's got someone along. He's not the one being asked to hold and do what what Kamara does for us. Which you know, we how many times over the years under Dean Smith and the the season under he must not be named. Did we always use? Uh, you know, bemoan the fact that oh, if only if only we had a natural holding midfielder, so you could ask Dougie to to go play his holding game. Because you might say that he does have everything because he can do that holding role, just not as well as a specialist in that position, and maybe not against the absolute best teams. 
But for a modern day midfielder, he's kind of like he reminds me like a, a bit of like a throwback to sort of the days in like the mid late nineties, early noughties, when most teams most teams played four four two. And you didn't have holding midfielders, attacking midfielders. You just had two central midfielders, box to box. And kind of Dougie's a bit like that. He's got all those qualities, but he's he's got them in a way that that allows him to play like in the modern game and excel at it. Like I, I honestly believe, in terms of like as I say, all around midfielders, I don't think there's been a better central midfielder playing in the Premier League this season. In in terms of that, I think we kind of said it maybe last week or a week or two ago that. You know, if you compare and say like with a Rodri, that's different because Rodri's got that very unique holding position. But for me, there's probably other than a couple of the lads at Man City, I don't think I'd swap Louise for any other midfielder in the Premier League. No, and I think that's the thing too. And there, there's always going to be that traditional top six bias where they'll say, oh, would he walk into our team? I, I Honestly, I think he walks into any team, and I think there's an argument to even say he would walk into, even though he was there previously, City's midfield, if they moved things around slightly. To be honest, he would fit in seamlessly. And yeah, I, I, I know there's an argument to say against that, but he's just that good. Like, the fact well, that we bought him for what we did, and if he ever does leave, I mean, knock on wood, yeah. hopefully he doesn't, it's going to be for... We talked about this previously, we don't have to bring up fees, but it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, with like with Man City, obviously, like you know, they they play like a three midfield. You're always obviously if they're fit and available, you're having Rodri and, and De Bruyne in there. But like City's like they're they're funny because they rotate so much. Sometimes it'll be Foden, sometimes it'll be Alvarez, uh, you know, it can be Kovacic, uh, Bernardo Silva. Like Luis would, he'd be in that category where he wouldn't play every single week. But you're right, he would fit in seamlessly there. But then you look at Say so you, you take City out, every other team in that league, hundred percent he walks into that team and makes them better, like easily. I mean, Arsenal obviously there's been loads of links with that, and it's not going to happen because they just they, they won't be able to afford him, and, and hopefully we'll be in the Champions League and it, it won't have to happen anyway. But say if they could, if 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 they if you were an Arsenal fan and you could get yourself a midfield of Rice, Louise, and like Erdegaard, you'd be. You'd be fucking over the moon with that. Like he, he, you're right. He instantly walks into a team and makes them better. Like it, I, I cannot speak hardly enough of of how good that footballer is. Like he genuinely, I've said it a few times. He's he genuinely one of my favorite and, and best players I've I've seen play at Villa Park. I honestly think he's that good. Well, I think that's an amazing thing. Like we've literally seen Dougie grow with how this Villa side has grown, and also. I wouldn't say decline, but there's been stuttering in obviously Villa's potential hopes for progression. And maybe you can make that argument slightly in terms of his early career. But the fact that he is where he is now, mm-hmm. and considering it's only been, what, is this his fourth season now? I'm thinking off the top of my head um, since Villa was back. Correct, I think. I think. Is it yeah. fifth? Fourth, fifth? Anyways. Fourth, <laughs> yeah. We've got, yeah. Yeah. I think it's his fifth, yeah. Yeah, anything pre-Una Emery doesn't matter anyways, regardless. But, but, of... but isn't it, it's, like, it's, it's interesting, like that first summer we came back up, like we obviously we spent a lot of money on, on quite a few players. And like there's kind of, I'm just trying to think, I don't know if there's actually that many that that's, other than Dougie Konza, I can't think of any players we signed that summer 
that are still regularly knocking around it. I mean, Pete, you could maybe technically class Mings as one of those summer signings, but he was on loan, obviously, the six months before in the championship. But, you know, for for those two players, when so much was written about how we'd wasted, you know, all that all that money coming up and, you know, they'd spend 150 million, whatever, and, and they're all crap. Like, they weren't all crap. Some of them weren't great. Some of them obviously had their limitations, but, you know, that, that was always going to be the case. But Louisa and Conza, you're right, you kind of, they've been at the club since we, you know, since we uh, came back up what, four or five years ago now. And the way that them two have, have grown and developed as, as Villa have, it's, it's clearly not an easy thing. You know, we just said there, we signed 13 players that summer. They're the only two that are still around and, and are still getting better. Um, yeah, for that, we're very, very lucky to have some of the players that, that we've got at, at this football club. No, hundred percent. And just to get back to the the game here, we'll 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 we'll, we'll this will be our moaning hour. I don't know what you want to call <laughs> this. This isn't really a segment, but of course, VAR does strike again. Ollie Watkins does flick on a nice little header. To Alex Marino at the back post, and uh, his goal is deemed offside. I don't understand it, considering the line looks like it was trying to say Leon Bailey was offside, which makes no sense because Leon Bailey was behind the defender and there was no defender around Alex Marino. You throw in that with a Ollie Watkins non-call penalty that should have been a penalty. I don't know if that was at the byline, that would be a foul. Anywhere else really on the pitch would be a foul. Um, I just, it's, I, I don't want to be harsh on a super young referee. I think he's the youngest in the Premier League, uh, to date. Um, and I thought he was actually pretty decent aside from these two things. And some things of course are out of his control and you would expect the other officials to kind of help out with that. So maybe as a collective, you can throw that into it. But I mean, let's start with a VAR one, Simon. It's, <laughs> it's again, it, it's one of those things that, I'm still stunned they just don't release like the communication between the officials and the VR officials to the public to say this is how we made the decision because I, I feel like I hear all this stuff on social media, you listen to podcasts, whether it's just a general football podcast, a villa podcast, whatever it may be, football related, and it's the same thing. We're we all have to go off what we think it is and how we feel. But it just it would be all cleared up in my head if they just actually provided some context. Because sure, we could criticize that and say it's wrong as well. But it, again, it just adds to these conversations, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I think in this, in general, I I, I do agree that they'd be better off releasing the order. And to be fair, that there's a there's a show on Sky over here they do once a month. Um, it's bizarrely Michael Owen presenting it, and it's Howard Webb. That comes on, and they they basically like talk through, um, you know, any sort of VAR controversies, or whatever, and, and they they do play all the audio, or the audio, so you do hear it. Um, but you know, there, there's been stuff that they've shown there where, where Harry Webb is, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, we we got this wrong. We will try to do better. I've got this." So in general, I agree the principle of uh, that they should release it more. Because it, in most cases, it may provide some context. But with this one, I mean, it doesn't make any difference because they got it wrong. It's not offside. Like, it, it's just not offside. They've, it looks, when you initially look, it looks like, oh, they've drawn the line from Bailey's foot. They haven't, what they've done, which is even more laughable, they've drawn the line from Moreno's elbow 
which is ridiculous because you can't score with your elbow, so that line shouldn't be drawn from there. And like, I just, I, they, they've got it wrong. They've, they've got yeah. it wrong from like the stills that you see. They've drawn the line from the wrong part of Moreno's body, and even with that, the line still comes down on. I think he's like the blue line, which should mean that he's onside. I just I, that one. That's nothing to do with the referee. That like you, you can't blame him for no. that. That's the dickheads in the VAR room who have told him, yeah, it's offside. But that that one is, is just completely wrong for me. Um, you know, you squad to stage the. You some like I used to be of the opinion that like when goals this are offside, you think, well, it must have, it must have been offside, even though it looks like it must have. But I, I don't, I just don't even trust that they're doing that. They've got the process right because you've seen so many things that just look so wrong. You know, when they're guessing camera angles and stuff like that. So that that one is wrong, but there's there's nothing you can really do. And then the penalty one. It's a funny one, that, because I, I do think it's a penalty, but I do think you, you can make an argument that it's risky but strong defending. Like, it's it's one that it, I agree if that's, if that's anywhere else in the picture, 100% getting the foul. And I, and I do think it's a foul. And had it been given, it wouldn't have been overturned. And so, again, with that one, the, like... The ref in real time sometimes it can be difficult. Like he, because the way the ball goes off, when I first saw, I kind of thought maybe the defender's got a foot to that because he goes off in quite a funny angle with, with quite some some power as well. Like it's a heavy touch from Watkins. So from the referee's point in the game, how it happened so quick, I can deal with that. So that's again looking back to the VAR and, and like I say. It's, the problem is with subjective stuff like that. Now, most people, myself included, do think it's a penalty and you've seen penalties given for less, but you've seen, I've seen challenges that I would suggest are even more blatantly obvious than that not being given. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. And the fact that we've won the game as well adds weight to our arguments and frustrations here because you're not usually getting a you know, sour grapes or we, we lost because of VAR. It's nothing to do with that. We've won, but, you know, we quite easily could have come away with, with not having three points there. And then you'd be like really, really pissed off. But it's, it's shit, but it is shit for everyone. <laughs> like, it, you know, virtually everyone other than, you know, probably Manu still somehow uh, gets crap stuff go against them. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I think everyone's, sick to the back teeth of talking about it but there's every week in multiple games there's just so many cock-ups that unfortunately you have to burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware weather-ready teak and quick-dry foam cushions for Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, I think that's what the thing. It's like, it's almost like there's these hidden rules that no one knows about, or they've applied rules because of VAR, but again, they haven't release them or they're not easily accessible you know what i mean it's just the way the way that they're drawing the lines it's almost like they've put a panel of 10 people and they said okay everybody it's almost like maybe they maybe they got them extremely intoxicated and said whoever can draw the straightest line while you're absolutely hammered you're Mm -hmm. this this is your match and then we'll just kind of go on from there like it just the applicability to a lot of different situations doesn't really make sense. And that's why I feel like a lot of the rules are kind of like, okay, a lot of us been, okay, maybe it's more grassroots or just recreational have been playing the game since we're little kids. And we like Mm -hmm. to think we know the majority of the rules and that should apply right throughout the whole kind of footballing sphere, but it doesn't. And like that, it just, and I think that's again, and I don't want to get into a big thing about modern day football, but like, it's just, so many things are becoming overcomplicated when it doesn't have to. Like, just let yeah. it happen. I just like the, the one thing I really cannot understand with the Premier League and the the technology that they're using for offsides in the World Cup and in the Champions League. They've got that sort of semi-auto made stuff, haven't they? Which which they do ridiculously quickly. Like, especially in comparison to, to how long it, it takes us over here to do it. And they seem to get it right as well. Like, there's, like during the World Cup in Cats and the Champions League, the technology that they're using um, just seems so much better and, and so much more accurate. You, you look at, sometimes you look at the lines that, that get drawn up and, like, the dotted lines coming down. And it's like they've, they've let some divvy kids have a go on words paints or something like <laughs> I, it, I, it, I just it's so the technology that they're using here is it, it's clearly not up to standard and, and the people operating it are 100% not up to standards um, really 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 frustrating confusing and unfortunately part of the modern game do you ever do you ever watch NFL football or anything like that sometimes yeah have I, I don't know if it'd be available in the UK, but have you ever seen like it's like the Nickelodeon version of NFL football? They're covering the game, but they make it more like specified to kids. So there'll be like when there's a touchdown, there'll be like green splatting all over the screen. Have you seen that? I I, I saw clips of Dora the Explorer from yes. the Super Bowl, and I kind of thought, I you know if that came in, there'd be a fucking feet going through the TV. What's, what's the UK? Because is it is it Mr. Blippy or something, or is it Blippy? Okay, mate, I don't know. I've, I've no idea. <laughs> what, what what would be a UK related like? Um, I don't know animated character that's like always been famous. Oh God, uh, you'd be putting me on the spot there. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay, well, fair <laughs> enough. I don't know, but. Why can't we just have like Dora the Explorer painting the line across? Maybe that'll distract people long enough. I don't know. Like you might as well at this point. It's become that much of a freaking joke. Like I don't know. Like where's Diego? He's at the end of the line. How do we get there? And then they can draw it. I don't know. I think you would you you underestimate um, the anger that some people <laughs> in this country have to to any 
any Americanization of, of sports. We, we probably just lost about 25 listeners every second I just spent talking about that. But to those that still stayed along, welcome to the whole cast and thank you for, for staying. But getting more to a, a serious tone, let's talk about Super Ollie Watkins because of course oh. he was at the double against Fulham on Saturday. The Torque Holland, Torquay, sorry, Holland, I like to call him. <laughs> he has his best goal tally as a Villa player. So he scored 16 in the 2021 season and the 2022-2023 season. It's already Feb- or mid-February, I guess you could say right now, and he already has 18. I mean, where does it stop with this man? Because we have a poll related to that goal tally, so we don't really have to specify that. But I mean, how far is he going to go this season? It's just unreal. I mean, who knows? Like as far as he wants, <laughs> you know, he he he's unbelievable. Um, it's it still baffles me that you still get people who who think there's a possibility of that we could upgrade or or that he still needs to be more consistent. I mean, I, I don't know how how is that even possible? Like. Yeah, he'll miss chances. Everyone does. Haaland in their game, in the Man City-Chelsea game yesterday, I think Haaland missed nine chances in that game. So, it's yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I'll, I'll, some people still question things about Watkins, but for me, I don't... There's there's no striker that I can think of in, in European football that Aston Villa could go and get that would be better than Ollie Watkins. Like he's he's absolutely brilliant. The, the way he took his goals yesterday works. I, I thought the first one in particular was just great movement and such great finish. Like that's a top top goal from from a top top striker, which is what he is. And with with him as well, I, you know, we kind of I think I might have said it said it last week. Or I, I certainly said it on on one podcast recently that I've done. But the big, the really impressive thing with him this season, especially, is obviously Emery's come in and, um, you know, sort of focused his role as a centre forward and had him, you know, not chasing so many loose balls, not trying to come so deep and get involved, you know, to be more selfish. So to have kind of changed his game to be like that and still have the amount of assists that he gets as well. Like it's it, it's unbelievable. As I say, I'd I'd love to know who this mythical striker is that that we could <laughs> supposedly get. Like like genuinely though, you kind of messy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like in terms of like talking just out and out centre forwards, he's the second best centre forward playing in the Premier League. Like obviously Haaland is number one, but there's I I can't think of a better like out and out central striker. That that that's out there that that Villa will go and get. It's it's, it's just it, it's his records this season has been great, and you know he's he's always improving. Emery always talks about his work ethic and how much he always wants to improve, and 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 you can see that in, in his game. You know, he, you you never ever hear any kind of negative story ever about him. You know, he's he, he just head down. Goes to work hard, like like pretty much all the players in in our in our squad at the moment. You know, you, you can see that they're all really buying into to what's going on at the club. And he, I, I think, he, you know, Watkins will know himself just how much he's improved in these last eighteen months since since Emery's come in. And I, I still think that there is more to come from him. Um, 
yeah, I just the the fact that 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 we've got him at, at the club as well. Like you know, like I said earlier, we've we're very lucky with the number of good players we've we've got at, the, at this football club. It's in in terms of the strength of the squad, arguably the best, like strongest squads that, that that I've seen in, in terms of the number of top players in 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 various different positions and. You know, Watkins is one of them and I think we mentioned last week as well his durability like that shouldn't be underrated in, in the modern game as well the amount of football that he plays and he's his energy levels are always so good he he the way he's trained as well now is that you you know sometimes in the past you, you could see if he missed one or two chances early on in the game you, you could see that it really affected him but his, his mindset has, has just changed so much and that you know, it's hundred percent down to the work that's been done with with Emery. And even if he goes on like a, a little goal drought now, you know, a, a goal drought for him now is like three or four games, and and then you know that he's you know that one's coming. Um, and, and also the, the that's a point on this is the, you look at his goal scoring record as well this season. He doesn't take penalties. Harland, Salah, and Son, who are kind of up there around him. With the goals in the Premier League, they all take penalty. Now, obviously, penalty goals count. Like you know, I'm not saying they don't count, but it's it just for me shows that's even more impressive for, for me. Well, that's the thing too, and I, I think a lot of people look at your goal scoring ability and just expect your prototypical striker, your your Hollands, um, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to do nothing but score. But I, I think when Football fans in general, not even just Villa fans, have to think in a wider context. I mean, he, in my mind, he is Unai Emery's prototypical perfect striker. He contributes offensively, contributes when we're defending. It's an all-around game thing. And to be honest, I mean, as good as it is to have a goal scorer uh, in your team that scores 20 goals a season, if they're not really contributing any other way, and I'm not saying the likes of Holland or Salah aren't contributing in other ways, because they evidently are, but I think a lot of people know what I mean. Mm. I would almost rather have that all-round player because the fact that his goal contributions, I think he's what, is he three or four off of Dwight York now or something like that? Um, in terms so, of yeah, overall? yeah. 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 So he's very, very close. He's going to beat that at this point. There's still 13 games in the Premier League at this point. He could probably get at least half that in at least probably one game coming up soon or get a hat trick and be very, very close. I just feel like there's another big haul coming from him because I think another thing too is Simon is he'll score. Sometimes it'll be a few games in a row and then he'll go blank maybe for three or four. But then he'll score a few bunches here and there. I think a lot of people say, well, where's the consistency? But I mean, name me five strikers right now that score almost every single week. It just doesn't happen. Even Holland doesn't even score every single week. And I know that because I triple captain him and he didn't (laughs) score against Chelsea, even though his XG was absolutely stupid. So it does happen. Yeah. I I like that. That's where I think the it's a. Really big point that should not be overlooked, but but sometimes does is the amount of assists. Because if he's not scoring, he'll invariably have got assists in, in games if we've won. And like the just like kind of the, the point you were making in terms of like the all round game that he has, that obviously works perfectly. Like for Vin, like someone like Haaland, um, he in a team like Man City, they don't need their striker to you know, be contributing with, with assists or getting involved in the game. They don't need him to do that because they've got so many world-class players in every other position on, on that football pitch that, that can do jobs. 
that that means that Haaland all he has to do is just focus on on being the goal machine that he is, and, and it works perfectly for them. Whereas Villa aren't Man City. <laughs> we don't have Man City's players. We you know we play in a different way, and so we we need a we need a striker that gets your goals and assists, but can kind of do other stuff as well. So it's like say say if you like trying to compare the Watkins and Haaland, which is stupid, obviously, because the Haaland's just ridiculous. Like say say Haaland some somehow was playing for Villa this season, he would I'm sure get you know he's still getting more than his fair share of goals because we're a good team and you know we create chances. But the way we play, we would not be able to play the way that we do with, with him in the now. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure Emery would find a way <laughs> of making it work if he had on. But you get the point that I'm making, like, and and it goes back to to the point you started off this Watkins chat with. Like, he's the perfect striker for Unai Emery's system at Aston Villa. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's the thing that has to be kind of kept in mind. And in my head, I have some weird kind of meme of like when we sold Jack Grealish, and it was Perslow saying we've purchased a number of different players to kind of fit all attributes and spread kind of the wealth out per se. And I kind of feel like you could almost throw that into Ollie Watkins' category as well. Because I, I I don't know. It's easier said than done. I mean, I'm not comparing him to Gareth Bale. Because first of all, they do play in <laughs> different positions. Um, but replacing someone with four or five players even doesn't always equate to that one person. And I, I think what Ollie Watkins offers is absolutely unreal i mean i i know at the time when he was bought for that price as well i think a lot of people were wondering um what villa were thinking but i i think very very quickly a lot of people figure that out and i mean this season looks like he's going to take it to another level and who knows kind of as villa continue to strengthen in the transfer market and as a squad i i think those numbers continue to grow um you know what let's get over to the twitter polls now and then i'm, I'm sure simon can let me know if i forgot anything after the twitter polls because he's that kind to do so because of course <laughs> you can tweet us at holtcastpod if you ever want to get in touch with us in touch with us sorry uh we're still doing the three word reviews over on there we're just not reading them out as often um so do get involved with those are on facebook as well but if you do want to get involved with the polls like i said they're at holtcastpod on x slash twitter so of course we always put out three each week and we want Want you lot to answer them so the first one try to make it a little bit more different this week uh so the first one was by the end of the season all competitions included how many goals will all you Watkins have scored so the options were 20 to 23 24 to 26 27 to 30 31 and over simon which one are you voting for i think i went for the uh was it 27 to 30 was it 30. okay i think enough. i think I, I went for that one uh on the basis that I think we'll go far in the in the conference league and there's some there are some shit teams in that competition which will provide an opportunity, you think, for, for more goals. Yeah, I feel like there's at least another hat trick in Ollie Watkins this season. And I'm not just being arrogant and saying that I just generally believe there's gonna be a couple more braces and probably another hat trick just with that competition. Still with 13 games in the Premier League. Uh so the winner was uh 20 to 23, which I thought was being very mild at 45.1%, 24 to 26 got 41.7, 27 to 30, the brave uh, few got 97, or sorry, 9.71, 97, 101, of course, and 31 plus the mental 3.5 of you. Um, to be honest, if he got over 31 goals this season and he's only yeah. at 18 right now, 
we are in the top four securely, <laughs> or he's just scored like hat trick after hat trick or something like that. And we've already won the conference league. Um, either or, <laughs> um, I would take both of those if possible. The next question with Forrest Luton and Spurs being Villa's next three games, how many points will Emery's men secure? The options, I mean, there could have been a variety. I try to be as well balanced because I feel like if I would have put too many draws, people were, were, wouldn't be saying I'm ambitious enough if I put too many losses. Same thing if I put too many wins over confidence. So you never win with these. So I just kind of went in the middle. Uh, three, four, six, or nine points. Simon, what did you go with? Uh, I think I I went for six out of them purely because the option for seven points wasn't there because I think that's probably what it it, it would be. Um, well, I mean, I think we should be getting nine, but... You know, you, you don't wanna you don't wanna go overconfident with that. I I can't I don't see us I don't see an obvious game that, that we'd lose out of them, but I, I wouldn't be so bold to say that we'd definitely win all three. So I, I went for for six, but I, I would have liked to have said seven. Yeah, see that's the sucky thing. I wanted to put seven, but I can only have four options and I thought I, I felt like I had to put three and I felt like I had to put four because it could have been a win, a draw and a loss. And then I thought, well, then I had to put six because then yeah. it's still two. And then I thought, well, if I put seven, some I just know there's going to be one or two people that'll come out of the woodwork saying, you don't think we're going to win all three? But actually, some people actually came out and said, I should have put seven. So you can't win with these. Uh, next time yeah. we'll have to be even better, I guess. But of hmm. course, uh, 1.6% said three. So that, that's very good. Uh, four uh, points for 4.9%. 48.6 was the winner for 6%. 44.8 for a nine points, um, which I was actually very surprised to see it. 40, almost 45% of people thought we we're going to win all three. I, I will gladly take that because I probably think we need at least another 20 more points to get into the top four, I would think, um, based on the history, kind of strength of fixtures with the likes of Spurs and United. I think around there is probably going to be that. And another nine points onto that would put us in very good stead. And um, that means as well we'd only have 10 games to secure what another 11 odd points so that would be mm. ever so in our favor so i'll take that and the last question which is never serious and again i try to go with ones that are more global so everyone can kind of vote not just like american or canadian or uk based so what's the best chocolate bar everyone's options were snickers kit kat mars bar or cadbury dairy milk simon which one would you go with i i went for kit kat and assuming that it was a kit kat chunky yeah, I just put any Kit Kat to be honest because there's so many. There's, I feel like five different at least kinds of every kind of bar out there. Yeah, um, I would go Kit Kat as well. Um, if I was gonna say second, I'd probably say Dairy Milk because I do like yeah. that. Snickers won 41.6 percent. Sorry, uh, 34.8 went to Cadbury Dairy Milk. Kit Kat got 14.6, and only nine percent of people preferred Mars bars. Do you guys have Reese's Pieces over there? Yeah. Are they highly rated? I, I think amongst their fan base, yes. I think have, yeah, people rave about them. Okay, do you have Skittles and Smarties? Yes. Okay, I guess Skittles because that's more candy. But okay, I could have put Smarties in there as well. I, I see this. This was my weakness. I spent fifteen minutes this morning <laughs> looking at different chocolate bars and who had them around the world. And I mean, I, I absolutely just demolished Reese's Pieces. So I guess I could have put that in there as well. But nonetheless, I, I guess I flopped on that one. So like I always said, get involved in the future uh, with these. You should go out every Sunday uh, prior to recording. So most likely uh, if you're in somewhere in North America, most likely in the East, it'd be obviously in the morning on the Sunday. If you're 
obviously in the West, it'd be even earlier. So I doubt you'd see that till later. If you're in the UK, of course, it'd be later in the afternoon. But nonetheless, tweet us at Holtcast Pod for that. But nonetheless, let's get over to this. So, you yeah. know, hence hence me getting a yellow card for saying I think you've had juggling balls for Christmas. And let's get some time for Dean Smith's juggling six every Villa fan's favorite game show with your host with the most me. Um, yeah, I'll never say that again, but regardless of that, I'm sure I can't see Simon's face right now, but I'm sure he's just looking at me with a lot of um, confusion and a smirk on his face. But this one is Ollie Watkins slash Benteke related. So I thought I would merge these two together because I've seen a lot of people, especially since yesterday, kind of chatting about who's better between the two. Maybe that's a debate for another day with um, a, a bigger panel. But in roughly 134 games for Villa, Ollie Watkins has 53 goals. When you compare that to, let's see here, Christian Benteke's 42 goals at 89 games, that does put it into perspective. And it does show how impressive the Belgian was during his time with Villa. With that being said, Simon, I'll give you two lives for this. Can you name six of the eight teams Christian Benteke has played for so far in his career? And there's two of them on loan, which I do not expect you to get whatsoever because I've never heard of them before this. But I think you could honestly get at least six of the eight. I, I have that much faith in you. Considering Benteke okay. is now 33 years old, which is mental because he was at Villa when he was, what, like 21 or something <laughs> like that. It's been that long. So no particular order. Can you name six teams out of the eight that Christian Benteke has played for? Okay, so you've got Villa, obviously. Correct. Liverpool. Correct. Crystal Palace. Correct. And then I'm trying to think. I know it's a Belgian team that we signed for. I can't. I'm not sure if it's Genk or Ghent is one of them two. Was it? It's, it's one of them two, isn't it? Which one do you want to go with? I'll go with Genk with a K. Correct. He's actually played there twice. Okay. Yeah, he uh, played there two in more. 709, and then obviously Villa bought him from Gank and when he played there from 2011 to 2012, uh, where he scored 19 goals and 37 appearances. So you have two more. This is where I'm going to struggle now. So, so, I know... so in between, I'll give you a hint. In between um, Gank, his two spells in between at Gank, there's another team where he went on loan twice from that team and then the team he's currently at right now. I know he's in America at the moment. I can't for the life of me think where he is in America. That's the problem. See, I can, um, I can give you a hint, but you're going to know immediately because if I say the name, you'll get it. So I, I can't. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a pin in that one. Okay. Did he, can I ask, was he, the other team, they, was, they had a couple of loans. Were they another Belgian team? I'll give you that, yes. Was it Standard Liège? Correct. That's very good. That's very good, to be honest. I don't even know if you needed me to give you that hint, to be honest. He seemed very confident. At Standard Liège, he wasn't there very long, only from 2009 to 2011. He only made 18 appearances, scoring three goals. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, you have you have three options left. The two he was on loan at, which I'm assuming they're Belgian teams. I probably, yeah. I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce them and then where he's at currently. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think, because I can't think of, of you any have two of the Belgians. as well. So I know, but, but, I, I, there's literally I, like there's no other Belgian teams I can think of that that I know that that it would be like you're talking about 
these are teams where you're not even going to attempt a pronunciation, then then I definitely don't know who these teams will be. I will say one thing. I feel like I've probably heard of the second team he was at on loan at from 2010 to 2011 because it reminds me of a tire. I don't. I'm, I'm not getting like that, that was my only nice hand I'm you for that. Yeah, so. <laughs> and like the the as I said the I know he's in America, and as soon as you say it, I'll like it'll click. But it just you, yeah. you have you have two lives. Just have a go. Why not? Is it's not New York Red Bulls? Is it? No, that's incorrect. No. You have one life remaining. One life. Um. Oh God. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> um. Okay, I'll go. Minnesota. No, sorry, you have lost this one. Uh, uh, the hint I wanted to give you, but it was too obvious, was Wayne Rooney. So, what would you have said, uh, Wayne Rooney? See that DC United? Correct. In 38 games for DC United since 2022, he has 15 goals, which is actually pretty good considering he's now 33 and um, it's the MLS. And yeah, being a Canadian, I could give two craps about the MLS. I'll be honest. Maybe <laughs> a lot of people think that's rude of me, but I just if I don't, unless I'm going to a game live, I cannot watch it. I don't know what it is. It's just I would rather watch the championship. I oh, honestly, would the, the standards better? Uh, well, as, as Wayne Rooney's managerial record has shown, it's yeah. hard to win the championship than the MLS. I respect what they're trying to do with the MLS, but it is like. It is League One-ish standard, maybe mid-table championship at yeah. best. It just, it is what it is. And I, again, I don't need to get into how they're going to change that, but it, it's <laughs> going to take a very, very long time for it to even come close, or maybe it just never will. But regardless of that, that is Dean Smith's juggling six. The first loser, Mr. Simon O'Regan in Dean Smith's juggling six history. How does it feel? Well, this is the first time it's been a solo player. True. You know, I I feel the in the, Tom the would have pre- got it, so yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think in the in the previous games, I've I've done quite a bit of heavy lifting. So fair <laughs> enough. Well, if you've listened this far, hashtag us, blame Tom, and if you if you want to <laughs> put him at TD Nangil as his Twitter handle at that at us. Um, I, yeah, it'd be good to this, see if anyone out, made it this out, <laughs> out of interest, who, who would the other Belgian teams then? Um, I'm assuming they're Belgian just because their name. Let me click on them. Uh, so the first one is KV Corrigan. <laughs> I don't even know how to how to pronounce this. Um, they are in the Belgian First Division A. Um, okay. Yeah, never heard of them. Uh, just scrolling through who plays for them at the moment to see if there's anyone I know of. Um, and there isn't, so let's <laughs> just disregard that one. The next one is Michelin, like the tire kind of. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's not pronounced that. It's KV Michel- Michelin, maybe. Uh, let's see if there's any notables from them currently. Um, oh, I thought his last name was Coochie. That would have been funny. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Mm, oh, Islam Salmani's there. Okay, interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone really wanted to know that. I was expecting <laughs> to see like Richie Delat somehow still yeah. talking about or something like that, but uh, not at this football club. But uh, yeah, I don't expect anyone to get those. Um, I don't know. Maybe if Seb hit his head off his desk a few more times after hmm. he fell asleep, maybe he'd start speaking Belgian and he would figure I figured that out. But Either way, he scored, I think it was at 14 goals in 34 games at, uh, was it Korchite or whatever how you pronounce it? <laughs> uh, and at Mechelen, he scored six goals in 18 appearances. But anyways, that's the end of this episode and Dean Smith's juggling six. 
Hopefully everyone has enjoyed this one and played along and enjoyed the content. Of course, if you're new to the podcast or have been listening for a while and you haven't followed us or want to follow us, of course, whether it's Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting this podcast and listening to it, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, aunties, uncles, moms, dads, whatever. It's always appreciated and makes it easier for others to find us. Of course, you can find Simon on Twitter slash X at Cyregan, myself, Cole Petum on there as well, at Talk Villa, and of course, tweet the team at Holtcast Pod. I always, always want to say 7,500 to Holt. That's going to take a while to get used to. Of course, and you can interact with us on Facebook, which is still 7,500 Holt because I still need to get permission <laughs> to change the goddamn thing. But regardless of that, we'll leave things there. We should be back very soon with another episode. And don't forget, up the villa. We're going up. We're going up. We're going up.